This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. What is grief if not love persevering? What's up, movie friends? Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. This is Anthony. And this is James. And today we're doing an episode on WandaVision, which just concluded on Friday, the final episode of the season. This is the first Marvel Avengers project since um, Spider-Man Far From Home. So I think it's been an 18-month hiatus, basically, for these characters in a way. And my first impression was it's bold, incredible production for a television show. This is astounding. Um, intriguing. It's a little slow at times, but all around, it's a lot of fun, and the final few episodes are exceptional. Yeah, WandaVision was um, nothing short of um, just incredibly mysterious and surprising and intriguing, like you said, and it kept you guessing and it kept you on the edge of your seat because you had never seen anything like it before in the Marvel Universe. In the Marvel Universe, and this was actually supposed to be the second show that was going to premiere on Disney Plus for Marvel, but um, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was originally going to be their first show. But because of the lockdown, they weren't able to finish filming. So then they bumped up WandaVision to be the first uh, Marvel TV show. And uh, as all Marvel movies, this television show will connect to the MCU in a lot of ways we'll talk about. And I think it was a really a really refreshing thing for Marvel to do to make it such a, a completely unique kind of storytelling device by using WandaVision as the, the first set of Marvel TV shows. The best way to support our show is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. Patrons get perks like personalized messages, videos, episode schedules, and top tier patrons get a monthly shout out on the podcast, which we will do at the end of this episode. Yeah, and always spoilers are abound, everybody. So we're assuming you've watched this series and it was created by Jack Schaefer and she wrote the story for Black Widow, actually. So she's a great screenwriter and storyteller directed by Matt Shackman. They also had a bunch of extra staff writers to help, you know, give voices to all these characters. And Schaefer received the comic material and basically an outline from Marvel Studios um, with what they wanted the show to become. And Feige actually came up with the idea of having Maximoff and Vision living in this fantasy world of what he called suburban bliss and also based it on his love of sitcoms personally and using that to escape from reality for Wanda. Yeah. And it's a brilliant um, concept in Feige people. If you people don't know, he Feige has always been heavily involved in the stories and the plots of all the MCU films. So he has always contributed to the, the storytelling in major ways. And so obviously he, like you said, he came up with the original concept, but it's based on, uh, a Marvel storyline called House of M in which Wanda does create some kind of like simulation for herself. And and so he combined that with the love of sitcoms and and the use of sitcoms throughout the decades, I think was the most intriguing and, and interesting and fun part of the show to just see the, the, the changing of time through decades based upon what TV sitcoms were like. And the filmmakers did a really spot on job of duplicating what the styles of television were like for each decade. And they even used, uh, I think, over 40 different lenses, which is a lot for a production. Usually a production will have like a handful of the same lenses that they'll use because with with shooting, when you want to have the same look for a movie or, or a TV show, you only shoot with a handful of lenses to keep that aesthetic because lenses can really change the way images look. Where, whereas with this, they were just given free reign to change the image, change the look and appearance of the show for each episode, which came out to be, which turned into a beautiful piece of cinematography and 
the most interesting filmmaking that Marvel has ever done. Yeah, and it's this show is so nostalgic, especially for for all generations of people, um, because we have so many references and 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 basically these each decade or each episode is kind of loosely based on the styles of sitcoms. Like we we get like the Dick Van Dyke Show and I Love Lucy. And also the Brady Bunch, Bewitched, I Dream of Genie, Good Times, those those shows from the seventies, and then we also get like those nineties sitcoms like Full House, which I was actually expecting or half expecting a cameo from the Olsen Elizabeth Olsen's uh, sisters, the the Olsen twins. That would have been funny. I, I was like, is it gonna happen? I mean, it would make sense because it's a very Full House vibe in episode five, and then the the two thousand sitcoms we get based basically on Malcolm in the Middle, which is a great show, and then the two thousand ten sitcoms basically based on. Um, Modern Family and with so, the uh, Talking Heads. Yeah, so it was. It's just such a fun concept because each episode's different. And I was honestly a little surprised how long and how deep they dove into it because Marvel they just walked this fine line of like piquing your curiosity while keeping you in, in the dark at the same time. And I think it just shows an immense level of confidence to open these episodes up with nothing really to do with the, the MCU or Avengers and just these characters living in this world because I think they want to engross you in this reality that one just created. And also, I think the first two episodes, there's like 95% of it is just sitcom-based. Yeah, so it was... They they didn't want to do too many clues to what was happening in the first two episodes. So they, were, so they basically were just full-on 50s and 60s sitcoms, and that's what the entire storyline was. But there were Easter eggs in throughout, but... I, I one of my favorite aspects to the the sitcom transformations is um, they really like you said they paid so much attention to detail and they were so loyal to what the shows were like and I, I one of my favorite parts of the show were all the opening credit sequences of each different um, decade and period of television where they have the credits for the the fifties one the sixties one which is animated like Bewitched and all the way up to like the the Malcolm in the Middle one with uh, the family being all crazy and like with the punk Rocky score and. And I, I and I love the uh, the seventies one where they showed like all the members of the family from the, with the photo book with um their ages like being babies and growing up and yeah. like, the vision baby is so funny and the, the teenage <laughs> yeah. vision so vision funny as a baby yeah. yeah so I loved how they really created these um uh, title credit sequences for each sitcom era and it really sold you on the premise yeah and I think my favorite you could say Easter egg of the entire series. It's got to be the opening theme song, I think, for like the 2000s vibe where it's the Office theme song. Basically, yeah. it seems like they just kind of like, what can we make? How can we make it sound like it yeah. legally, but it's close enough that you know what it is in, the, in an instant? And so it, it was just a lot of fun. And I thought it was so nostalgic. And then obviously after like episode five, that's when we start getting really into what's going on and getting into more of the Avengers MCU storylines with Wanda and Vision. Yeah. And like you said, the production is amazing. I mean, this this TV show is the most expensive TV show ever made. And um, it was it was uh, estimated that each episode cost $25 million to produce. That's insane, because I think Game of Thrones was, what, $10 million per episode? Yeah. And um, for season, the last it, season. It, it's, it varied yeah. 10 to $12 million because the later episodes had so much CGI. Those were more bigger budgets. But this is by far the most expensive. It's almost a $200 million project. So it is they, they treated it as a movie. And the reason for that is why it was so expensive was because in order to um, make it believable, they had to build all these sets. They had to get all, make all these costumes, and there was a lot. There's a lot of special effects and visual effects in the later half of the of the um, episode uh, in the later half of the season. So, just the fact that if you look at this movie, there's a lot in terms of the production. So it's a massive scale production, even though it seems small in scope when you go episode by episode. If you think about, it, they start out with the set design and wardrobe from the 50s. 
and then they're combining that with contemporary wardrobe and sets and so it was a huge scale production and that's why it was so expensive in order to make it believable for the audience hey there aspiring filmmakers and screenwriters writer duet has paired up with our podcast to offer a very special promotion if you head on over to writerduet.com slash raiders you can sign up for free for a 30-day trial of any one of their subscriptions Writer Duet has become the new standard for screenwriting software. You no longer have to pay huge amounts of money for a software. This is a monthly payment for as little as $8 a month. And we know many of you listening are screenwriters and filmmakers. And uh, if you know anything about screenwriting, you know that the, the formatting for a script is very complicated and very specific. And if your script is not up to snuff with the industry standard, it's going to get thrown in the trash by someone in Hollywood. They won't even look at it. So you have to make sure it looks correct. Writer Duet makes that process easy, streamlined. It has a cloud-based access from anywhere across the world. Think of it like Google Documents for screenwriting. You can literally be co-writing a script with a friend of yours from across the world. And you guys can be writing it together. Famous writers have also been using Writer Duet for a long time now, including Jim Ools, who wrote Fight Club, and Christopher Ford, who wrote Spider-Man Homecoming. Again, it's free to sign up with Writer Duet using our special promotion. Go to writerduet.com slash raiders. Again, writerduet.com slash raiders to sign up for their special 30-day free trial of any one of their subscription services. And also, a lot of this, the sets in this movie, the exteriors, are very recognizable because I think they shot a lot of these exteriors at the Warner Brothers lot in Los Angeles, and you could tell, like, those... Ta those the town the square. The town square. Yeah. Like, th they've used that for so many projects, and I think that's also where they did, like, Back to the Future with the clock and everything. And a ton of productions there, so you can kind of... If you've ever taken that tour, if you've ever been to Los Angeles, you'd be like... You, you, you drive around these sets and these, these roads and these streets and these fake buildings on the buses, on the tours, and it's so cool because we've done it a few times, and it's like I've been there a few times. It just it brings that nostalgic feel to it. Yeah, and these um these major studios, they have big sets as well that are already built. It's like a lot of sitcoms, um, like if, like suburban sitcoms especially, whenever they go outside into their neighborhoods and you see like this like street with all these houses, that's also a set. It's like the Warner, it's another part of the Warner Brothers lot or like the Universal lot where these houses are just exteriors and they're pretty much empty shells on the inside so they're used in a lot of different productions and they'll just dress it up to make it look different so commercials and tv shows and movies they shoot in the same friggin locations over and over again but you wouldn't tell because of the production design and all interiors are on sound stages yeah well most of them yeah mostly yeah by far most of them yeah but and so especially with this show they actually use sets from older movies. So the house that Dottie lives in is the is uh, Murta, Murtaugh's house from Lethal Weapon, Danny oh, Glover's yeah. house. And then uh, Wanda's house is actually the exact same house that's used in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, that's amazing. So they use these old sets and old houses from older productions because they, they're still there. You know, they didn't... They build these sets to be used over and over again. And so that's what this show did. But it's meta. It's part of the appeal of it and part of the joke of it. Yeah, and also the CGI on this on this TV show production, it's, it's amazing. I Honestly, now I can't wait to, wait to watch uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier to see what they do with that and their future projects because obviously we were exposed to The Mandalorian and, and how well that show was made. But we knew when we talked about on that episode how a lot of that was done with – um, those giant LED screens for backgrounds and everything. And there's minimal CGI in that compared to this, but WandaVision, 
it's like a fallen Avengers movie, like the amount of CGI, and it's it's so good too. And especially, I love this the parts where Vision is going in and out of the house, and he's changing from Vision to Paul Bettany's face, and he's going back and forth, and it's, it's all incredible. And I would never expect them to be able to do something like this, but I'm sure CGI technology has come so far in the last decade from from all the time they spent doing all these Marvel movies that it's so much more streamlined and so much faster. Yeah, that's exactly true. It's exactly right. And also in terms of the sets. They're able to get away with it, not like Mandalorian, where they have to make all the sets digitally with the LED panels. You can't film all these <laughs> alien worlds for each episode. So this this show only has a very small number of sets. It has um, Wanda and Vision's house, and then it has the town square. And then other sets, and then you see the contemporary sets with the FBI and sword base. And that's pretty much it. So there's three main sets in this show, so they keep... The environment scope small and the scale of, of the land of the landscape small in order to make the show higher budget because they put all the money into like you said special effects and stuff like that and they're able to keep it um uh, manageable in terms of the budget because of the small number of sets yeah like one of my favorite shots is when it's going from black and white to color and i think that for vision they actually painted him blue for black and white monochrome filmmaking because it looks better and also th- this show it's it's the concept the overall concept of I think the first the mystery of like the first three four episodes it's it's so similar to like Pleasantville meets the Truman Show and then we, of course we get the sprinkle of Marvel in there you know this black and white world where sometimes there are colored objects it's like Tobey Maguire's character in, in Pleasantville and then the Truman Show where it seems like the main characters are are being tricked or duped or or surrounded by fake actors in a way or, or people who know something that they don't when really it's the the opposite in a way and it's also very surprising because. When I watched the first half of the show um, until the reveal in episode five or four, um, I I predicted that Wanda was under the control of something else and they, they were using Wanda to create this world. But in fact, you learned that Wanda created it herself, which I think was so fascinating because if this show more than anything, it has an insane amount of character development for her character. And she and I think she'll have obviously play a vital role in the MCU for the next um, probably like decade or so. And this show um, really explored her character in an amazing way. Yeah, I I basically figured out. I think we all mostly did when uh, Monica gets banished from the reality that it's you know Wanda has created this this hex this bubble and it's it's kind of like annihilation like this other reality in a way that film by Alex Garland and um I think that's when I when we noticed it and that's when we see the conversation between Monica and and Wanda and and it seems like Wanda obviously the main theme of this entire series and motif is grief and how she's dealing with that and that's when you know eventually why she creates that that reality but I think that's when I figured it I think that's when we all knew that Wanda created this but I, you were pretty early on figuring out who you thought the main villain was of the show too yeah I I predicted that um Catherine Hahn's character Agnes was going to be the main villain because for two reasons, she kept popping up in scenes randomly to help the two leads, or um, she seemed to know what they were always talking about. Um, like when she showed up with the doghouse, and she's and they're all, and multiple times she would show up, and they'd be like, "How'd you know?" And she'd be like, "Oh, I heard it from from because you because I'm your next door neighbor." But like it, so they alluded that she's just a nosy neighbor. But then also, whenever there's a an, a character in a movie or TV show that's going to end up being the villain but at first they they seem like they're unimportant um you can i it's easy to predict that they're going to be the main villain because they're a prominent actor or a big actor you know what i mean so whenever like there's a great actor in a role that seems very minor i'm always like well why did they take this role if they're such a big actor obviously they're going to have a more interesting storyline 
for the second half of the story, whatever the movie or TV show is. So then I was like, well, Catherine, Catherine Hahn's a very prominent actor now. She leads her own TV show. So she, it and this role in the show is so minor and has pretty much nothing to do with the first half of the series. I, I was just like, well, she must have a major part to play. And so I think if she's going to take the role, it must be because she's the villain or the antagonist because that would be enticing for an actor like her to do so. That's how I predicted that. But there are a lot of Easter eggs and hints throughout the um, first five episodes to show that she is the villain. Yeah, I think for me... I always was wondering, like, why does she cackle like a witch whenever she laughs? And it's, you know, then you finally realize it's because she's a witch. And then I want to go, let's, let's talk about like Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany for a little bit because they're exceptional in, the, in this TV show. And Elizabeth Olsen, and she, she's such a talented actress. And I think, you know, some people may have been familiar with her work before she was Scarlet Witch in Wanda. And um, that movie that she was in, uh, Mar- Martha Marcy May Marlene. Yeah, yeah, she's really great in that film and she's very talented. And also she was in uh, Spike Lee's remake of old boy and she's awesome in that yeah and obviously when you're doing these adventure franchises you can't really move out to other uh areas of filmmaking because it takes up so much time but i think it showcased how talented of an actress she is and then paul benny it's so great to see more of his character of vision who we, we never really got to know too well it's kind of like quick their relationship and how their their love develops and we eventually find out why that is. But, I mean, if anyone ever makes a movie about David Bowie, I think Paul Bettany should play him because <laughs> they look so much alike. And especially, it's fun to see Vision without his getup. And we get to see, you know, Paul Bettany's real face and his rare, real hair. And I think they did that in Infinity War, right? Did they? Yeah, when they're in the house before they I think get attacked. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we got to see a lot more of it. Yeah. And the show... You could you could say that it's really just an intense character study on both these two characters of Wanda and um, Vision. This episode of Raiders of the Lost podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Manscaped. Manscaped.com has been supporting the show for a couple of months now, and they've sent us all their goodies, all their lawnmower 3.0 groomer, which is the best clip I've ever used in my life. It has a built-in light, sensitive to the touch, 8,000 RPM. These things are beasts. They're deodorizers. Deodorants are great. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Two million men are currently using Manscaped products because it's the best stuff you can get for grooming. And, you know, you got to take care of yourself during lockdown. It's about to be summertime. You can't be going to the beach, you know, looking like a bum. So let's get to grooming. Let's get to manscaped.com using our coupon code Raiders of the Lost for check- at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Every time you use our coupon code, it helps our show. So thank you so much to everyone who's used it. Paul Bettany became Vision in the movies because. He was, Paul Bettany was originally the voice of Jarvis in the Iron Man movies. And he said it was the easiest job he ever had because he would record the dialogue for like six hours for the Iron Man movies with Jarvis. And then he would get paid like $200,000 and, and then he was, he would go on a vacation, he said. So it was like the with best his wife, Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. It was like the, the best job ever. And then when it came time to cast who Vision would be, I think the, the, the MCU production team thought it was a no-brainer to cast Paul Bettany because he's a great actor, so why not have him play Vision? So it really worked out because if they had just gone with a random voice actor to do Jarvis, they probably would have cast someone else to be Vision. So the voice wouldn't have linked up with Jarvis and Vision. So I think it was just like a, a happy accident that it happened that way with Paul Bettany. Yeah, and we have some other great um, supporting actors, especially Toyona Paris, who is fantastic as Monica Rambo, and she's obviously the daughter of Rambo from Captain Marvel. Her mother was uh, the other the pilot in that film, and her her character also is dealing with the grief of you know losing her mother, um, and she's also 
trying to unravel this mystery of Westview. And she kind of has this little this little trio team of her and then Kat Denning's character, Darcy from Thor. She's in here too, which is awesome to see that other recurring character in the She's MCU. great comic relief. And then Randall Park is, is Agent Jimmy Woo, who's just hysterical. You know, we all know him as, as Agent Jim from The Office. And then I loved him in the, the interview when he plays Kim Jong-un. So he's just a really great comedic actor. All three of them work really well together. Kat Dennings and Randall, they really bring the comedy. And then Tenoya... Tenoya and then Tayona brings that dramatic acting to it, too. And it's a great combination of this little team. And then Monica Rambeau is going to have a major role to play in um, the future of the MCU because she gets her powers in this season when she goes through the barrier that Wanda created multiple the times, the Hex. They're not super specific, but it seems like she's going to be a major character in Captain Marvel, too. Yeah, it's going to be—she's going to be one of the lead actors, too. And it seems like her powers—I think it's— um, They're light-based. The, it's about kinetic energy, I think I read it, in that she can absorb kinetic energy, and that's why, like, the bullets go through her. They don't injure her, and they instead just fly through her body. Um, but, yeah, the exposure to all of that extra-dimensional energy that Wanda created with her hex reality, it tra- it gave her her superpowers. So now um, I, she goes by codenames, I think, in the comics as um, Photon or Spectrum. So I think that's what her superpower is. way cooler. Yeah, Spectrum's pretty cool. Spectrum Mobile. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think yeah, that's what like her power will be some sort something to do with kinetic energy. Yeah, really fascinating. I, I liked how they showed the how a, a Marvel character got their powers in this in this series rather than just having a, a superhero show up. Yeah, which is awesome. And then they work basically for this organization called like their freelancers are consultants for Sword, which is the sentient. Well, well, Wu works for the FBI. Oh, yeah, and but then Darcy does her own thing. She's sent on as a. As a consultant. Okay, so Sword's its yeah. own entity that they're, yeah. they, they're there for a little bit consulting, I think. Yeah. That's what they're doing. So Sword is... Because they were there, they discovered Westview. Yeah. Um, uh, Monica and uh, Wu. Yeah. And then so it stands for Sentient World Observation and, Re- and Response Department. It's like a uh, uh, a version of S.H.I.E.L.D. that's um, specifically assigned to sentient artificial intelligence. And this show, it's very popular. Close to 7 million people watched WandaVision and... In episodes one, two, and five were the most well received critically. I honestly think that I think episode like seven was the best episode, one. Episode eight's the best one when um we were when um Agatha show uh, goes through uh, Wanda's past. Oh yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking of. Episode eight. Episode eight. That's I by far the best. Episode. There's nine episodes. Yeah, yeah, the second to last episode I think is the, the best pe- one. Yeah, the penultimate. It, it's incredible because that's when we we learn everything, and that's because the story is a great way to show the exposition of Wanda's character and what she's been through in her past. Because again, we're t- grief is the main theme and. Grief is also what helps her transform into the Scarlet Witch and everything she's been through. And grief is the reason why she creates this reality because when we explore her past in episode eight, you know, we see what happened to her as a child when her, her town was destroyed by that military action in that, that war zone. Uh, we all remember we saw her brother Pietro die in Age of Ultron. And also we see some of her, some of her trapment or experimentation with Hydra. And voluntary, how, though. Yeah, voluntary. But she yeah. was still, you know, a prisoner yeah. in a way. And then also, of course, we we all know that she had to watch Vision die twice, and she had to kill Vision herself once. So she's been through a lot, and that's why when she finally is shown and sees the dismembered body of Vision, she goes to that plot of land that they bought with the the empty foundation. And and that's where, because of all the grief she's gone through, to hide from that grief and to, to escape her past, she creates this reality and creates Vision. And we also learned that as a child, her and her family were big fans of sitcoms, and it was a family tradition to... To pick, uh, each person would take a turn in picking which sitcom they would watch, and she uh, she always picked the Dick Van Dyke show because that was her favorite, and I think that's why it starts with Dick Van Dyke. But I love how they have that 
emotional connection to why because yeah it's a fun concept to go sitcom to sitcom based on decade and it's really visually intriguing and story-wise it's great but it's not just it's not just puff it's not just there for no reason they make an emotional connection between the sitcoms and wanda's past and then you fully understand why she creates the sitcoms and one of the best parts of the show is you know we're learning about wanda that's basically the, the main premise of the show because it seems like she's going to be the main focus of of phase four in the mcu and we're learning about her powers and we all assumed that she was an avenger or she was a uh, in terms of having superpowers she was given to given them to her through experimentation and what we learned through wandavision is that she was born with these powers she wasn't given superpower ability like captain america like the hulk like iron man with this technology she she didn't become a superhero after being born a human she was born with these powers and then this she had the contact with the mind stone and so part of the mind stone lives inside her and that enhanced her powers and also it caused pietro to get the the super speed and his superpowers those experimentations but she, he didn't get in contact with the mind stone but it's such an interesting thing to think about where now that disney has purchased both marvel and they own the x-men rights and they, all they, they bought they bought fox for bought 71 billion dollars everything so they own all the characters and now they're going to start integrating them which we saw in wandavision it begs the question is wanda herself a mutant is she not one of these real like one of these post-human superheroes like the avengers is she herself a mutant and now her powers have been more enhanced? I would say she's not a mutant, but she's a witch, I think is what they imply in the show because they showed Agatha's backstory where she was a witch in Salem in the in a 16th century, um, 17th century Salem. And so I think that um, Agatha implies that Wanda was born as a witch, kind of like, like she's like a, a mudblood um, wizard from Harry Potter where she doesn't come from witches but maybe they can just be born out of uh out of nowhere so i think that what she is not she's not a mutant but she is a witch but but you could say that witches are mutants yeah that's what i mean so in generally in, ter in terms of this universe and i think this is a spoiler alert that i found in research on of the of house of m which is the, the comic that basically i think what they're using as inspiration for in general the the phase four of marvel universe with with x-men and the mutants is is that um scarlet witch and Wanda's father and Pietro's father is Magneto. So I think that, you know, she is, I think witches are a form of mutant. And I think that's maybe something we'll learn. And I love that you brought up Agnes and her coven because that's one of my favorite parts of the show is when we go back in time to Salem, Massachusetts. It opens episode eight. Yeah, it's so fun. It's the, it's like one of my favorite form of witches we've ever seen on camera before. And we learned that obviously Agnes has survived centuries. Well, from but I want real quick about that scene. It's really well written because... The witches, they tie up Agatha, Agatha on the plank. But we don't know that the others are witches. We think it's like, oh, she's been found out as a witch and she's going to be killed by Salemites. But then we learn that the witches are the ones tying her up. So it's a really intriguing twist on the opening scene right there. Oh, yeah. So this, she goes by Agatha. That's her, yeah. her real name. And um, basically, Agatha Harkness. Yes. Basically, what we learn is that she's been practicing dark magic that she's not supposed to. And she's also clearly been manipulating the other witches in the coven. But they didn't realize that her greatest strength and her ability was to suck the life force and powers from other witches. And this is what happens when they try to kill her. Yeah, it's a great scene. And I, I, I love how they opened up that episode with Agatha's backstory because it's vital to the plot. And so a lot of people, they like when villains are empathizable, where you can empathize with them. But what I like about Agatha is that she seems to just be straight evil. Like, we don't feel anything for her except that she's a villain. They don't try to give her, like, any kind of victim 
um, storyline where she became this for whatever reason and and uh, we can understand her. I like how they just made her just a straight up evil person who was always interested in evil. She has a Voldemort quality to her her backstory where she was just always bad. And I like that about it because some I like to empathize with a villain. I like understanding and relating to villains, but sometimes it's just good to have a villain who's just bad. This episode is also sponsored by MoviePosters.com. Use our promo code Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. MoviePosters.com is the best place to get your posters online today. If you're looking at our set online, you'll see that our set is decked out with all these amazing posters they sent us. These are high quality, the best printing you can pay for. They can do all sorts of sizes. They have pretty much every movie you can think of. Framing, backlighting, putting glass on your poster, whatever you want. MoviePosters.com can handle it. Again, use Raiders15 from MoviePosters.com. Again, Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. Let's go. And yeah, it's similar to Voldemort. She wants to become the most powerful dark wizard or witch in the world. And she even takes the powers and kills her own kind, her own witches, even her own mother. And it's so fun to to just dive into Agnes for a little bit, like how she get comes into the picture with with Wanda and with this reality and with Westview. And it's because Agnes, you know, she senses this this energy and this 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 witch spell and this and and she is drawn to the hex that Wanda creates and she basically because she just eventually starts popping up out of nowhere, and they're like, who are you? And she's like, I'm your next-door neighbor, the one on the right. And she found Wanda, and she realized that this is incredibly powerful magic. And she, her main motivation was to find out how Wanda created this magic, created this 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 reality. And, and she's the one that understands that it's actually chaos magic that she's using. And she points out that Wanda doesn't even have to use spells to cast her magic. She just can use it internally anytime she wants. Basically, Agnes, Agatha... Her, her motivation is to infiltrate this reality. And that's why she's always popping up, like you said, with the dog thing. And, and she, she's always kind of listening to their conversations from a distance. She's always like behind the, behind the corner and butting into their, their personal lives just to get more information. This is how she's, she's trying to gather intel on what happened. And she's also manipulating Wanda to help her accept the reality when there are trouble, when she has doubts and when there are problems, like when she finds that purple and orange helicopter in the bushes um and she's very confused by it agatha agnes shows up to distract her um immediately and acts as though there is no helicopter and then um she brings in pietro because vision and wanda are having that fight about the reality and so she brings pietro in to help um to help wanda accept the reality again so whenever her reality comes into question uh, about accepting the world uh, wanda, uh agatha is right there to help keep her in line with the the world she created. Yeah, it's clear that she doesn't she doesn't know that Wanda officially is the Scarlet Witch yet until later on when she starts to see it coming out of her because the concept of the Scarlet Witch, you know, we she never gets called Scarlet Witch before this, not in the other Avengers movies or any of those films. And I think she needed to tap into that Scarlet Witch potential, which was always inside of her. You know, was, she's very similar to Jean Grey. Like that power is somewhere down there, but it's it's a, a way to the means of finding that power, which is through Wanda, is through grief and destroying this reality in a way. And that's what, when Agnes or Agatha discovers that she could be the Scarlet Witch, then she wants to push her further to pull the Scarlet Witch out of her in a way, but, but to absorb that power at the same time. Yeah, because Agatha would know how to control the power, whereas uh, Wanda has no knowledge or experience or education in terms of how to control her powers and what witches can do. And that's when Agatha shows her the book of spells and the history of witches. And and what's so interesting is when Agatha watches 
Wanda officially become the Scarlet Witch after Wanda tricks her into thinking that she's giving her all of her powers, but she's really just setting up those those protective enchantments around her barrier, around her hex. And then she basically becomes the Scarlet Witch in front of Agatha's eyes after absorbing her power. Agatha responds by saying, you have no idea what you've just done or what you've just unleashed. And I think that's just a, a little tease of what we're about to get because it seems like Scarlet Witch is probably going to go down that same path of Jean Grey with Dark Phoenix where she becomes the most powerful being in reality, in the world, and in the universe. And her power is going to be so so immense that she won't be able really to control it. It's going to corrupt her in a way. So I think that Scarlet Witch is probably going to be the villain and the main focus for the MCU going forward in Phase 4, and especially because they, they leave it pretty ambiguous at the very last shot of the film where we see Wanda like in that cabin in the middle of nowhere just in the woods. And then... It's basically like a projection or her, her non-magical self. And then in the back room, we see the magical version of the Scarlet Witch. And, and it's ambiguous because we just watched her kind of save the day in a way, even though she's saving her own fake reality. But the music is very ominous and it's kind of dark. So I think that they're hinting at she's going to go down that path that Jean Grey goes down. Yeah, and she's going to have a major role to play in the next Doctor Strange movie because because it looks like Scarlet Witch, what she's doing... It looks like the same kind of thing that the sorcerers in the Doctor Strange world do where they have these like magical enchantments and she's like twisting that those same like circles and symbols. And so it looks like she she pro she can probably do the same magic that they can do that Doctor Strange can do and that that seems to be like her astral projection that Doctor Strange can do as well that is reading the books and learning. And so I think that obviously Doctor Strange is eventually going to be have to have to go up against her. Maybe not in his next movie, but definitely down the line. But it seems as though she is doing the same kind of magic that they're doing. Yeah, it seems like it's her chaos magic is maybe even a more powerful form of what they can do in terms of warping reality and time. Because, again, she created her own reality. She created vision from thin air. Uh, basically, uh, one of the, my favorite concepts of this movie, I mean, of the show, is vision really the old vision? Is, is it the same soul of vision? Is it the same basically entity or identity of vision which i i think it is i think that's how powerful wanda is that she created vision from thin air even though he was dead yeah i don't think it's quite the same as like with maul and in inception where it's just a projection i think it really is um a bona fide conscious vision and i think just with the power of the the um What's that stone? Mind stone. The power of the mind stone. Which you can resurrect from the dead. Yeah, gave her the ability to create a conscious vision, but he can only survive inside the hex because he was created out of the hex. But I think it definitely is the real vision. And then we have that awesome concept of vision versus vision. Versus vision. We have hex vision versus the reanimated and re reprogrammed dead vision from, from the, the original body of him. And um, we get to see th this hex vision... It seems like Vision again is it, because we think it is. And then the original Vision is sort of like a zombie Vision in a way. He's, he's, he's white and he's got the blue emblem on his head. Instead he's like of the Terminator. Yellow. Yeah, kind of. And their powers are obviously equal when they fight. But the way that Hex Vision was able to defeat the original reprogrammed Vision is with logic and his programming. And because the, the original Vision's new programming is to destroy the Vision. And so Hex Vision proposes him with that question about logic telling him, asking who the real vision is and that that he's the real vision in a way and you, there's that great metaphor of of the ship being rebuilt with different pieces over time is it the same ship the climax of the show is great where it's just this battle between the two visions and then the two witches and uh, it becomes like um like the epic conclusion to a marvel movie and that's they set up the stakes 
over eight episodes and it became this explosion of of fighting and they also showed the corrupt bureaucracy that we've seen in other marvel movies i think especially in terms of like uh captain america um winter soldier where you have the corrupt bureaucrat who's trying to do something nefarious um under the guise of the government entity this in this case sword and again this the scarlet witch i don't think she she existed until this show because her she never really used her her powers like she does in WandaVision or like she eventually develops. And I think it's similar to like how Goku in Dragon Ball Z first becomes a Super Saiyan. You know, that, that power is deep down inside of him somewhere. It's just it's just getting to the point to tap into the potential to become the Super Saiyan or to become Scarlet Witch. And that's what it took. It took all of this grief. It took all of this pain, all of this trauma in Wanda's past to eventually and then being questioned with her own reality and having to destroy her reality or save her reality from Agatha. And, and that's what creates... The Scarlet Witch and pulls that power outside of her, and I think that the motivation of grief will turn her into the villain because it happens a lot. Villains become evil because of their grief and their trauma and their past. So, for example, like Doctor Octavius in Spider-Man Two becomes a villain because of grief, and um, uh, Jean Grey becomes a villain because of grief. And I think that something similar will happen with with Scarlet Witch, where uh, at the end you can hear the voices of her two sons screaming just like echoing in whatever dimension she's operating in. And so I think that um, her children will come, her family will come into jeopardy and probably be killed in the future, which will eventually turn her into a villain, I think. Yeah, and I love, there's a question of, could Wanda have defeated Thanos on her own in Avengers Endgame and Infinity War? And, you know, I've read in places that, you know, people believe yes, because Scarlet Witch is the most powerful being in the universe. But obviously... She isn't the Scarlet Witch yet at that point. Again, it takes her this this series and the show and the grief of Vision's death and everything she goes through to become again the Scarlet Witch. So I don't think she was technically Scarlet Witch at the time. Yeah, but she would mess him up now. Yeah, all oh, for sure. Yeah, big time. It seems like, you know, like you said, she's going to, I think she's going to become too powerful. She's not going to be able to control it. She's going to be, become corrupted, some sort of breakdown because of all the reality she's changing and and maybe in a way she'll stop being able to humanize herself or use her lose her humanity and not be able to connect with humans anymore and uh become so powerful that she's incomparable and i'm maybe there will be another villain or villain characters who will corrupt her and get her to the point for their own reasons uh that's what i would expect something something to happen where that she's kind of used and manipulated the same way that Agatha manipulates her. Yeah, and I don't know a ton of House of M, the, the lore of that comic book series, but I think that's the route they're going. And, you know, in that, obviously, spoilers alert, spoiler alerts, in that series, which it seems to be based off of in, in a lot of ways, you know, Magneto is her father to her, to her and Quicksilver, of course. I bet we get Quicksilver comes back in a way. Um, and then this integrates the avengers with the mutants from the x-men and and it seems i think that i read that the scarlet witch eventually takes all the powers away from mutants in a way and it sort of seems like it's going to be mutants and avengers versus scarlet witch or this house of m if you want to say that that's kind of like a family of supervillains. i think kevin feige said something like last year or the year before about the future of the marvel mcu would be to integrate the x-men into it so I mean, it would make sense. Those would be huge draws for audiences. I think it would people would be fascinated to see those characters together. Like, so seeing like characters like Wolverine mixed in with the MCU characters would be so much fun. Yeah, I think that's what they're going for because you know they, they they left the Avengers. They they, they didn't they kind of shot the shot on the on that world and that universe in a way, and so they have to reboot it all. 
And I think obviously after buying Fox for $71 billion in 2019, their idea was to integrate both. And I thought it was going to be a war of like Avengers versus X-Men or Avengers versus the mutants. And it seems like it's now going to be, like I said, them two working together to stop Scarlet Witch and House of M. And obviously it seems as though uh, Agatha will definitely be back in the future. I think she'll definitely be in the future MCU movies because like they said, like she told Wanda at the end of the series that she's going to, that Wanda's going to need her help in order to, if she wants to be able to control the power she's unleashed and that um, she doesn't know what she's doing or getting herself into. And so I think Agatha will definitely return to at first be a villainous character, but I think she'll, she'll, the Avengers will need her help to eventually control and try to stop um, Scarlet Witch in the future. Yeah, and there's a reason why Wanda left her alive and didn't kill her and left her to stay in Westview. She even says, like, if I need you, I know where to find you. So I think she'll eventually need Agatha for maybe insight on her witch powers and her witch abilities and maybe what's happening to her in the future. And that part was a little um, a little confusing for me at first because after she does that, she destroys the Hex. But then I, 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 I figured that um, Agatha will be living in the real Westview as this, like, mind-controlled person. Yeah, because it seemed like everyone else was released, and then yeah. you have the scene where she's walking through Westview with her hood on, and, like, everyone's just, like, looking at her. Like, what'd you do to me for... You had me under control for so long. <laughs> I don't know why no one was screaming at her. I'd be, like, throwing bricks at her. I don't know why no one ran away out of fear. I would have been like, get away! And why didn't she just, like, like... They're finally free, and they just stand there, like, get out of there! Leave! She also could have just, like gone a different route and not have to walk past them all but obviously it's it's like a, a image that they wanted to get yeah she had to have that conversation with monica i think they they wanted to show that she was driven by grief and that's why she did it um so it's it's empathizing with the entire situation of why wanda created this in and why wanda took the control of all these people's minds yeah because you know you can look at her in a way she did very villainous acts you know she had people under their control under the control and she wouldn't let them live their lives. She had them trapped basically in this prison and they they couldn't escape their own mind and they didn't know what was real anymore. So that's not a good thing to do to people. And so in a way, she was a villain, but obviously motivated and, and driven by the immense grief that she ex has experienced over her entire life. Which is a foreshadow to how I think we think that she'll eventually become the main villain of the MCU driven by grief. And this is just a hint to the power because what Wanda did... Um, Agatha mentions that she wasn't even doing it intentionally. Like it was just, she said it's magic on autopilot, uh, magic on autopilot. Like it, the world was creating itself and the, the magic was controlling these people without uh, Wanda even thinking about it. So that's how immense and uncontrollable her, her power can be. And this is just a small hint of it because she wasn't even the Scarlet Witch yet at this point. Yeah, because again, she rarely used her telepathic gifts when she became an Avenger. She really just used her telekinesis, so she never really explored that ability inside all the battles. Yeah, all she ever did was um, in Ultron was she just like gave everyone those nightmares, the nightmare sequences. In terms of telepathic gifts and yeah. abilities. Yeah. yeah, other than that, she's mostly just manipulating objects and creating those fields and everything like that. And, and so now it's going to be interesting to see what they can do with her powers and how creative they'll get. Yeah, I think that that pretty much clears up the entire show. Obviously, you know, I, I think there's some really great, fun Easter eggs with it, to the show. Obviously, the, the the nostalgia of the shows and the theme songs, but the commercials are very funny and hilarious. Like the Lagos paper towels, which yeah. is refers to the I think it's that city that she grew up in. Or yeah, yeah. And then uh, I think one of my favorite commercials was the yogurt one, where the guy can't get the the, <laughs> the shark because yeah. it's just like gogurt. It's it's so funny. It's, it's super nostalgic. Yeah, they played off the our memories of those commercials. 
This is our current top-tier patron shout-out list. Thank you to everyone who supports us. Michael Karanja, Caleb Fleming, Justin, Riley McDonald, Dawson Jolakier, Nikayla Simeona, Nate Moore, Angel Mendez, Travis Ball, Caitlin Signorelli, Logan Schroeder, Harry Roscoe, Jorge Chavez, Dennis, Jacob Kostler, Ken J, Dennis, Caleb McFalls, Justin T. Frank, Max Rosk, Sal Guanera, Aaron McCardle, Christopher Tunnel, Grayson Younce, Tyler McDowell, Cole Carroll, Lauren, and Tanner Teagarden. Thank you again so much for the support, everybody. We love you all so much. Let's do some fun facts about WandaVision. Let's do it, man. In order to capture the look and feel of a classic sitcom, legendary actor and comedian Dick Van Dyke was actually consulted by Marvel. This is why the 50s and 60s sitcoms are so accurate, and also, they filmed these sequences in front of real live audiences. Cinematographer Jess Hall used 47 different camera lenses over the seven time periods in WandaVision, and you brought that up earlier in the, in the episode. And they basically, for each time period, kind of wanted to stay true to how the the production was done at the time, and like using different lighting, like tungsten lights were used for the 1950s and 70s eras episodes, which were common during that period. You know, tungsten lights are very bright, they're very hot, and you know the intense light, and then LEDs switched to for the scenes in, in the modern era, which is a much softer light and easier to control. They also color corrected it and added grain to make it look as though it was shot on film, which really worked half the time. Like the 70s sequences, those really looked like they were shot not with digital cameras. Uh, Paul Bettany's character Vision was painted blue for the scenes, which would be shot black and white because the maroon looked too dark when shot black and white. So they had to change it to blue to, for the, to create a grayscale for the character. Evan Peters, he plays Pietro Maximoff in the series, even though Aaron Taylor Johnson plays the role in Avengers Age of Ultron. Peters plays the same character in the Fox franchise's X-Men universe, and both actors actually work together in the film Kick-Ass. Wanda even says Kick-Ass yeah. in uh, the Halloween episode when he leaves. She goes, Kick-Ass. So I think they're referencing that movie. And just to be clear, he's not the same character of Pietro. He's an illusion made by Agatha Harkness. So she, he wasn't created by Wanda... Pietro, played by Evan Peters, is created by Agatha. And that wraps our episode on WandaVision. We really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and the show, and we're looking forward to seeing what happens next with the MCU in Phase 4, and we'll be definitely be doing an episode on Falcon and the Winter Soldier once, once that show is completed. So hopefully you're all going to be tuning in every week just like us, and thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to go to RaidersOfLostPodcast.com to find out all of our merch, get your movie posters, hit up all of our content, and thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost podcast. Hit that subscribe button and notification bell. Listen to the audio format of Raiders of the Lost podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast.